Amen. Love that. Uh, let me ask you a question this morning. How many of you ever felt called to do something? I think sometimes we falsely believe that that a calling, uh, especially when it comes to some type of godly calling, um, only can come to missionaries. We hear maybe a missionary or a pastor, somebody that, you know, we hear these stories of how God called them to a certain place or a certain people group. And, and we might think that God's calling um, is only for the super spiritual and only only a few people can actually hear that. We hear these amazing stories and, and we're like, you know, is, is God really called me where I am or is God going to call me uh, to something? Um, when I was a youth pastor, I had this opportunity um, to go into a class of seventh graders um, on career day and speak about my occupation. And the teacher, before um, I began to speak about what it was like to be a, a pastor, she tried to have the students guess what my profession was. And the answers were, were pretty funny. It was from um, lawyer, uh, doctor, um, teacher, uh, musician, uh, businessman, um, NBA point guard, uh, professional golfer. Those two last ones I lied about. I wish they would have said that. That, that wasn't true. Because so you had all these things that these kids were trying to guess. And then um, when I told them that I was a pastor, all of them were like, whoa, really? They were just shocked because there was never a pastor that actually came into their class. On career day. So you had a bunch of these seventh graders actually staring at me. And, and what the teacher uh, didn't know, what this was a perfect opportunity to share how Christ changed my life. Because she asked, she goes, well, how uh, did you choose that particular um, occupation to go into? And how many you know that we don't choose the Lord, the Lord chooses us? And, and when he calls us, he calls us to come and say, hey, Come, follow me. Come, follow me. So this was an interesting opportunity to speak to these uh, seventh graders uh, about how Christ uh, changed my life. Because it all starts there for every single one of us. When we come to Christ, the fact of the matter is we're all called. It's not for a special few or missionaries or those that are called the full-time uh, full-time uh, ministry. For me, the calling to become a, a pastor wasn't some epiphany that was some writing in the sky. For me, it was kind of a gradual thing. I, uh, I knew that when I came to Christ, my life's calling was to serve him in whatever area uh, I would do. And, and, and that's the same for all of us. And so I took those steps uh, to become a pastor. I went to college and studied theology, pastoral studies. Um, and at my home church, I worked with my youth pastor. He had me teach um, Sunday school. God help those people that sat in my first Sunday school classes. I think the, the, the older adults that were in my class always come in. They go, Barton, you did good. That, that was good. We didn't learn anything, but you did really good. We're proud of you. We're going to keep praying for you that maybe you need to choose another profession. But anyways, um, you, you know, they, they, I, I kept doing it, and, and, and I preached, and I visited people that were sick, and I went on missions trips, and my youth pastor did a great job encouraging me to serve where I was. It wasn't some future calling. He said, listen, Barden, if, if you feel led to being full-time ministry, that's great. But serve where you are at right now. Let God use you now. And so I didn't wait till I officially became a pastor. I served where I was at at the time. In college, I had the opportunity to minister at nursing homes to help 
a small church, you need a children's pastor to visit, to be a visitation leader uh, with a youth pastor. And uh, this youth pastor kept encouraging me to serve. And as I continued these things, I felt my spirit that this was the road that God had for me. And I continued to walk into it. And now I've been full-time pastoring for uh, 25 years. So in Christ, we are called. Uh, we, we are called to serve Christ in whatever field he's placed us in. And I think we can buy the lie that we have to wait for some big calling. And the moment you become a follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus says, you are called. I have called you to go into the world and to be my servants. No one calling is greater than another. We all have a responsibility to share what Christ has done in our hearts. Um, I I have a unique opportunity, which I I love uh, to be your shepherd, a responsibility to be a shepherd of, of, of a flock of of believers who, who want to love and serve Jesus. I love to lead and teach God's people. Um, I feel privileged actually to do that. And um, I love to teach God's word to you. I enjoy coming to church on Sunday and giving the message. And I have a passion for that, as some of you might well know if you've been here long enough. But the question is, what is your passion? What has God placed in your heart to do? And God does gift every single one of us. And when he calls us, he calls us to do something for him. He gives us a greater purpose in our lives to say, God, is my, you know, is, is my ambition in life just to, to be a churchgoer or God, do you have something greater for me? And I can remember the first time God called my love. I could, I, I could hear his voice whisper into my spirit, Bart, I've called you to something. Now, originally I wanted to go into environmental science and I wanted to be a go and work in environmental conservation. And that was really, I felt so stirred to do that. And that's fine. And, and if you want to do that, but, but then after a while, I felt God directing my heart somewhere else. And so I love to encourage people in their gifting and things that they're passionate about. And as your pastor, I'd love to watch you in action. I get so excited when I see you reaching out and serving and, and, and God, you getting excited about God's word. And I realize that we're not all called to be full-time missionaries, but we are called to be missionaries in our world. Every single one of us, God calls us to go out into the world and to touch those in the power of Jesus' name. And so, you know, whatever the call is, we are called to do the work of the ministry, to use the gifts that God has given us. And so through this series, what we've been looking at, hashtag selfie, what we've been looking at is we've been looking at what our identity is in Christ. And I want you to understand this one point today is that every single person who's called by Christ, who answers the call of Christ in their heart and their life, you are now called to do the work of the Lord. Your identity now is in Christ. He calls you to do something greater for him to say, I want to use you now. I know, I know at, at, at one point you were on your own track in your own way. And, and you were thinking like, well, I've got my life all planned like me. I thought I had my life all planned out. And I thought I was going to do it this way as a young person. And all of a sudden, God just rocked my world. He just turned everything around and said, Bar, now I, I, I want you to go in this direction. And I never thought in my wildest dreams as a freshman or eighth grader, seventh grader in junior high or senior high that I would be staying in front of people giving God's word. You, you, I would have thought you were off your rocker and that you were nuts and you need to stop drinking expired orange juice, right? So I would, I would just think you're crazy. But God, how many you know God changes us and he redirects us to do something that we never thought we could ever 
do. And that's what he does in our hearts when we're called. And if you look at the first disciples and the calling that, that God had for, for, for Peter and, and, and the other disciples, it was amazing how their lives were transformed from something that they thought, this mundane job that I'm doing, that God used it for his glory to change their hearts. And so as we've been going through this series, we've been going through the book, uh, the book of Ephesians. And the Apostle Paul in his letter to the Church of Ephesians describes to us what a, what a believer looks like. Uh, what are we to do? Whatever the occupation we're in, whatever stage of life we're in, our calling should be the thing that directs everything. That should be the thing that steers everything, no matter what you do. And, and, and we see Paul talking about the calling. And he says something very important here in Ephesians chapter 4. He says, there should be something evident that's in your calling. When Christ calls you, there should be something different in the way we act. There should be something different in our character. And so we, we may serve in different places or serve in different ways. But Paul stresses the things that should be evident in every single one of our callings. Here's the thing I want you to realize. Sometimes we look at the calling as something specific, like that's a pastor or, or that's a missionary or that, you know, whatever the calling may be. But God says, listen, what's more important than where you are or the people that you're ministering to, what's more important is the attitude in which you do it. See, what people are going to remember about your life is the character you had and the way you did it and the way you minister to people, wherever that is. And so what Paul stresses here in Ephesians chapter 4, he says, I want you to make your calling secure. I want your calling to be evident in the way people look at you and the way they see you is complete opposite or different in comparison to what the people live or are living around you act like. I want, I want this to be different. I want you to look at your life differently. Can you, listen, 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 listen. Can you imagine if you woke up every morning and said, God, this is a new day. You've called me. I have no idea what's in store, but I'm ready, Jesus, for whatever you got for me. I'm ready for whoever, whatever person you're going to put in my path. I'm ready to take this. This job may be mundane. This job may not be the greatest thing in the world. But God, you have called me here. These people need you. And you've called me to this place. Let me be that missionary to this place. Let my life be different. Can you imagine if we woke up with that attitude? That's what Christ desires for you in your life, that every day is a new opportunity to serve Christ. Isn't that wonderful? Thank you, Ruth. So Ruth gets it. Now, listen, this is what he says. So here's, let, let's jump into this because this is what Paul does. This is what he says first in Ephesians chapter four. Let's, I'm just going to do the first three verses. Ephesians four, two is absolutely my favorite verse in the whole Bible. This is my life verse. And I hope all of you have a life verse that you live by. Ephesians 4.2 is Bardinger Race's life verse. Been my life verse ever since I was a teenager. Listen, I love these words. So what, he's, what Paul's talking about is the union of maturity in the body of Christ. He says this. Starting in verse 1. He says, as a prisoner for the Lord. Notice that he calls himself a prisoner for the Lord. 
I love that, Paul. He's a servant. He's bound to the Lord. He says, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Now, he's making this a blanket statement to everyone, just not specifically full-time people that are in ministry. But he's saying, listen, you that live in Ephesus, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Now, what he's saying here, he doesn't go on to say, I want all of you to have huge ministries. and I, I want all of you to, to, to you know, lead millions to the Lord. Okay, that might happen. But what does he say here? This is what Paul's most concerned with about their calling, which every single one of us can relate to here. He says, live a life that's worthy to the calling that Christ has given you. It's not about how many people you lead to the Lord. It's not about how big your ministry is. It's not how great we make ourselves. He's saying, this is what makes your calling worthy. Listen to what he says. He says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every Effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. This is what Paul's saying. He tells them, you are called, make your calling worthy, make it count. And so what Paul does is he gives us four things here to make our calling worthy. These are the characteristics that makes our calling genuine and authentic. He's saying, it's in your attitude. It's in the way you do things. It's, it's, it, this, is, this is the heart of Christ. If you don't get this, we miss it. And so Paul says, here's what it truly means to be called. Here's what it means to live a life that's worthy to the calling. And he gives us these characteristics of what it should look like. And these are the very characteristics of God himself. And so Paul is an understanding of what our calling is to accomplish. The end result of the calling is not to lift up ourselves or outshine each other or say, my calling is better than your calling. It's not to see who has a greater calling. It's not a competitive thing. In fact, it's just the opposite. Our calling is all about serving and building other people up at the expense of ourselves. Now, I didn't put that in your notes, but that's pretty good. So if you want to write that down, that was a good thought right there, all right? That's what true serving is. It's serving at the expense of myself to lift someone else off. Paul is emphatic about the followers of Christ living out their calling in a worthy way. So what Paul says here, he says, I urge you, I beg you, if you understand what Christ has done for you, it should be seen in the way you live your life. Everything we do now should be to please Christ. Paul gives us these four traits that we should see in our calling. And these are common for every single one of us that are followers of Christ. And these characteristics characteristics should be the things that govern everything else we do. No matter where you are or what your occupation is, this should govern everything we do. These are, these are uh, far more than just personal qualities. These are qualities that must be seen in how we interact with one another. And I believe this list that Paul gives us is probably the best list for conflict resolution. If you want to get along with someone, if, if you want to work through issues, if you want to see Christ exalted, if you want to see Christ truly working through your life, this is how it happens. It happens through these four things, through humility, gentleness, patience, and forbearance. 
So let's break these down because I believe these are imperative if we're going to walk in the manner that Christ has called us to do. It's interesting how Paul says right off the bat, if you're going to make your calling worthy, he goes right off and he says, walk in humility. Now, what's interesting about this word humility is that in our day, we would kind of see it as a virtue. Um, Don't think more of yourselves. Um, Don't get cocky. Don't trash talk. Uh, uh, pride comes before a fall. If, uh, if, if you watch a, a football game or a basketball game, you see guys make a great tackler, a, a great shot. You, you, they jump up and down like they just won the Super Bowl. They just won the NBA finals, right? They're all in themselves and puffing their chests out at, at one another. And, 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 and this is the opposite of humility. The, the best uh, spiritual example I could give to you this is in Rocky Three. If you guys remember Rocky Three, if you've never watched Rocky, you've not lived life, okay? You've got to watch all 15 of them. So Rocky Three, it's a good one. This is where, uh, how many of you remember Mr. T? I-, I pity the fool, right? He had, he had, you know, 80 pounds of jewelry around his neck, right? He had the, he had the, the mohawk going there, and he was just a tough guy. And in the movie, he played, he played Clubber Lang, and he was, he was talking smack to Rocky. And, and at one point, he was, he, was, he was mocking his wife, Adrian. And at that point in the movie, you just, you just wanted Rocky to, 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 to knock his head off, right? You just wanted him to, to just right there, right? But Rocky did it in, in, in the ring, right? He... he controlled himself he he did it in 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 the ring and i think what happens here what i want you to see about gentleness here is 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 gentleness is is really something that 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 we could enact this this attitude or this or this power over somebody but but we choose to to not do that and and, and to control ourselves in, in a gentle way not not a prideful way not like not like Mr. T in, in the movie, there's Clubber Lang. We, we, don't, we, don't exude, we don't exude this thing that says, I'm better than you, or I, I'm prideful. These are the things that, that, that Christ comes against. Ann Lander said this. She goes, don't accept your dog's admiration as conclusive evidence that you are wonderful. <laughs> okay, just, how many know, your dog, they all think we're wonderful, right? They, they don't. So, so see, what's, what's interesting about this particular word Paul uses is that it was never used uh, before New Testament times. Uh, any word closely associated with, with this word humility was actually used in a negative way. Um, it had a meaning actually before New Testament times of dishonor or, or being shameful or ignoble. And, and, and to the Greek, humility was not a virtue. At all. In fact, it was just the opposite. But for the follower of Christ, this now becomes a virtue, and Jesus' life epitomizes humility. Philippians 2 6 through 8 says, Who, being the very nature of God himself, did not consider equality with God something to be used in his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in the appearance of man, he humbled himself. Jesus made the choice to humble himself, even though he was God, and becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross, which he didn't deserve. See, humility is not a weakness. Humility is a choice I make to serve so that Christ 
may be glorified. So humility is a choice. I, I make a choice now to take the seat of least honor. Humility says I don't have to be in the first seat. I don't have to be in the, the best seat. I, I, I choose to serve others. I choose to say, hey, do, do you, I'm, I'm going to get something. Would you, would you like something? Oh, thank you. You're, you're eating with other co-workers or whatever. You're at the table and say, may I, may I take your plate and throw it out for you? Okay, listen to this. Can you imagine if you're eating at a restaurant or let's say you're eating it, not at a, at a restaurant where you sit down, but like at a Moe's, like a fast food, and there's some right there. And you don't even know that you go up to them and say, are you done? Yeah. Do you, do you mind if I take your plate and throw it out for you? They would think you're off your rocker, wouldn't they? Right? They don't know you and you're saying, I'll take your trash and throw it out for you, even though I don't know. See, humility is a choice. Listen, listen, is a choice we make to serve. Jesus chose to serve us. Jesus chose to become a servant. Jesus chose the way of the cross for you and I. Isn't that an amazing characteristic? So opposite of the world. It's always take care of yourself. You've got to be number one. You've got to be the first one up the ladder. Don't let anyone walk all over you. Not in the kingdom of God. Not if we're called. When we're called, we're called to humility. We're called to humility. The second, second thing Paul brings out here is this word gentleness. Now let me give you a word picture here that describes this word. Gentleness is like a lion that is completely tamed and controlled. It's, it's actually, gentleness is actually power under control. You have the power to seize this circumstance or overtake this circumstance, circumstance, but you choose not to. It's, it's power under control. Gentleness is seen in submissiveness. It's, it's, it's about working for the common good. It's, it's not always about getting your way. I'm submitting to God. I'm, I, 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 I'm not resisting him. You see, Jesus was, was gentle, not, not he wasn't mean. He wasn't a wimp either. But Jesus was absorbed in doing his father's will that he didn't allow insults or lies that were said about him uh, to, to sway his way with what God wanted him to do. But Jesus was still gentle. Jesus said, um, not my will, but, but your will be done. Jesus accepted the will of the father because he knew it was for the greater good of man. And that's the spirit of gentleness and submissiveness that, 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 that I have the ability to overpower the situation, but I choose not to. I use gentleness to speak into this situation. It, especially when we speak to one another and we get in arguments. You know, you know how that goes? When we, wanna, we want ourselves to be heard, so the way we get heard is our voice starts to get louder, right? Then the other person's voice gets louder. And then, the, then your voice gets louder. And, then, and you think like they're hearing you, but all the while they're just like, nah, 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 right? And it's not there. But then when you speak in a gentle voice, calm voice, it's amazing how much more your words will be heard than if you're screaming. Okay, just checking to see if you guys are out there. Okay, so gentleness. The, the, the third thing I want you to see there is patience. Now, I wanted to skip this one because I thought I was the most patient person until I had kids. And my kids will tell you that this is one of my greatest flaws, but I call it more of a gift. I believe I have the gift of being irritated easily. 
Um, how many of you have that gift of being irritated? Actually, I think that should be in here. You are easily irritated. That is a gift. So many of you can relate to that. Now, now, what does this word mean here? Well, the word in its context means that we are slow to retaliate when someone hurts us. It's the same word used in how God deals with us in 2 Peter 3.15, where it says, Peter says, listen, bear in mind, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means what? Salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote to you with wisdom that God gave him. So here's the patience. God says, listen, the Lord is patient with you, right? Thank God for that. We don't hurt one another with our words. We don't get back. We don't say, uh, uh, you know, we, we, we may say things like, I don't get mad, I get even. Um, that's how I deal uh, with each other. You know, that's how, I, that's how we do it. We get mad at each other. But not, not in the family of God. Um, in the family of God, we've got to be careful here in the way we, we, we're faithful to our calling because we don't want to fill in the gaps. How many of us, when we're in conflict with somebody, we always fill in the gaps of what, what we think the story is about without ever talking to the other person? And when we fill in the gaps, we assume that this person said this or did this, and then we fill in the gaps, and we do this all the time. We assume that this, we, we assume this that, or the other about the other person without ever talking to the other person. And then we really talk to them and we work it out. All of a sudden we're like, oh, I didn't know that. And, and, and we let that fester in our mind because we're filling in the gaps. Like, well, they meant this. And we're, and we're figuring out their motivation for why they did it, right? This is why they did it. They just wanted to get back at me. Well, I'm going to give it back to them. Wait till I talk. And then all of a sudden we talk and we're like, oh, oh, that's why. Oh, I didn't know that you were sick that day. That's why you didn't get back to me. How many ever felt really dumb after that one, right? You know, and so here's, here's the characteristic of one that's called is, is, is one of patience. We're not filling in the gap. We're patient with one another. We talk things out with one another. Let, let your calling be sure in the way you're patient with one another. Not always jumping to conclusions. Not always thinking the worst of somebody. Not always giving them the worst of the motivation. Because listen, this is where we've got to be careful of our brains. And they've done studies on this. That what we will do is we will automatically jump to a worst case scenario every single time. How many of you have ever done that? You think about something and your mind automatically goes to a worst case. That's, that's the way we're made up. And we have to be careful and guard our hearts. Say, say God, I've got to be patient here because I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know all the circumstances. So God, I just have to trust you and just be patient and let me talk this out before I jump to all these conclusions. How many of us made a train wreck of situations because we jumped to way too many conclusions. Can I get an amen? We're all there. Pointing the finger at myself too. We're all there. And then we talk, we're like, why did I jump? To, why did I worry? Why, why? How many of you, you worried about a situation that never, ever happened? Can I get an amen? And we spent all that time and sleepless nights and thinking about it. And then it never came to fruition. That's how our minds. Patience here. That's exact. It's, Relying on it. It's waiting on God. It's not jumping to conclusions. So God says, wait on me. Wait on me. Let's not fill in the gaps. Let's not jump to conclusions. Let's have that characteristic of patience that Christ gives us. And the last thing here is forbearance. I, I love this. This is so important to make our calling worthy. This word forbearance literally means bearing with. In a nutshell, it means that we put up with each other's quirks. And how many of you have had a lot of quirks, right? 
How many of you, you just, you get irritated with people because they're not like you. They're like, why do they act that way? Why are they doing that? Why would they think that way? Why would they, 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 because they're not like you. And if they're not like me, something is wrong. Why don't they think? Because the way I think is the right way, right? And then you mix that into the family of God and we're like, why is everything in there? Because I look at it this way. Why don't they like it this way? And I look at the, and we, we're not, Forbearing with one another. We're not, we're not bearing with one another's quirks. We're, we're, we're not putting up with them. We, we just, we just want to fight and make it our way. And, and, and Paul says, if you're going to make your calling secure, and if you're going to be truly be a minister for Christ, you got to have forbearance. How many of you know that God puts up with our quirks? Thank God he's patient with us, right? And the way he works with us is by peeling away the onion and the layers that are in our lives to, to work on our character in our life so that we can be more like Christ. So, so forbearance here is, 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 is putting up with each other's quirks in, in, our, in, our, in our differences. Um, I like this in Romans 2, 4. It says here, it says, Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to what? Repentance. See, our forbearance with one another and, and being able to deal with one another actually leads that to help each other to understand Christ and to work on our differences and the things that are wrong in our life. So, so let, let's, let's wrap this up. How are these characteristics made possible? Well, Paul says it can only be made possible through love. Listen to me. As we go to communion, because I, I want us to really take communion in a different way today. I, w- I want us to really examine our hearts today. We can have two ways that we look at a situation. We can go at the letter of the law, or we can go by the spirit of the law. Now, what do I mean by that? The letter of the law is where we just, we, we throw the book down. We throw the Bible down. This is the word of the Lord. And we just spew the truth at somebody's face and we walk away. Now, did we give them the truth? Yeah. Did we gain a relationship? Did we actually break a relationship? But I told them the truth and the truth hurts sometimes and the truth will set them free. Hallelujah. But meanwhile, you never talk to the person again. Is that, that's just what Jesus wants, right? But then there's grace. There's the truth and the grace. There's the spirit of the letter of the law where I say, you know what? Um, my intention here is, am I walking with humility? Am I walking in gentleness? Am I walking in patience? And am I walking in forbearance? Because yes, we do need to speak the truth. But there's a spirit of the law too that says, wait a minute. Am I building a relationship? Because that's what's more important. Because we need to build the unity of the Spirit of God within the church. That means we stand on the truth of God's Word. Yes, amen, amen, amen. We don't sway from this. But are we also walking in love? Because these are only made possible for walking in love for one another. And do we really love people? Because the problem is, that doesn't mean we have to like everything we do. Because we're going to irritate each other. That's why we're family. Families irritate each other, right? So it makes it fun. Sometimes. But if we're not walking in love, it's meaningless. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13. What good is it? If we're not walking in love, if we don't love each other, we may not like what we do all the time, but we've got to love each other. 
Because Christ loved us through all our quirks and inconsistencies and all our waywardness. So we've got to love each other. He says, this is going to be impossible unless we love. So should I do these things because I'm made to? Or I'm strong-handed to do them? Do them or else? No, I gladly do these things out of the outflow of Christ's love that changed me on the cross. That paid for my salvation that paid for my sin. And out of that love for Christ that he gives me, now that love is shown in the way we deal with one another. That's what makes the body of Christ so beautiful in our calling. Because when we're called to Christ, we're called to each other. And we serve each other in spite of ourselves. And when we do that, Christ's love motivates that to help us to get through our differences, to work through our problems, to allow Christ to be elevated so that we can serve one another and humble ourselves in that way. So the question is, how am I doing? Paul says, are, are you making your calling worthy? Are you doing these things to make the call that Christ gave? Are you doing that? Are you walking in these things? Let me just give you as a close. Let me just give you a couple of quotes. I, I love these quotes from C.S. Lewis. He says, C.S. Lewis says, true humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's, it's thinking of yourself less. He goes on to say, as long as you are proud, you cannot know God. A proud man is always looking down on things and people. And of course, as long as you're looking down, you cannot see something that is above you. Andrew Murray says it this way about humility. He says, humility is perfect quietness of heart. It's to expect nothing, to wonder at nothing that is done to me, to feel nothing that is done against me. It is to be at rest when nobody praises me and when I'm blamed or despised. It is to have a blessed home in the Lord where I can go in and shut the door and kneel to my father in secret and I'm at peace as in a deep sea of calmness when all around me and all above is trouble. He goes on to say that pride must die in you, or nothing of heaven can live in you. You see, if we're going to make our calling worthy, it has to start right here with my heart. It has to start with my heart. And when we come to the table of the Lord, Paul says the very thing to the Corinthians. He says, examine your heart. And so the question I want to ask you here today is, yes, God wants you to do, I don't, if it's helping at VBS and you, when Amy gave her announcement and you're like, man, I could do that. I could, I could help out at VBS. I, I'm, that kind of got me a little bit excited. You could hear God speaking to you. That's great. Let, let's do it. Sign up for it. But how many know you could go and then you could be screaming at the kids all week, right? Well, God called me. Get over here. You're going to love Jesus, and that's it, okay? Now sit down and shut up, right? Listen. Listen. God says it's in here. There's got to be love. Yeah, kids are going to get messy. Yeah, they're going to be running around. They're going to not always be in line. We're going to have to be organized. We're going to have to discipline. Yeah, 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 yeah. But let's make our calling worthy. It starts here. It's walking in humility. 
I always heard a pastor say this, and I loved it, and I practice it. He says, whenever I talk to a child, I never talk down to them. I get on their level like this. And I talk to them eye to eye. I thought, what a great example of humility. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. He came from his heavenly home and came and dwelt among us and his incarnate body as a man left the beauty of heaven to come into our filth. What did he do? He came to our level. Didn't sin, was perfect, was tempted in every way that we are tempted yet without sin. But he came right to eye to eye with Barden's race and said, I'm not looking down at you, Barden, and pointing my finger at you and saying that you do this wrong and you do that wrong and just sticking his finger in my chest. Right? But he said, Barden, I'm going to get down on your level. I'm going to reach out my hands and I'm going to die for you because I love you. That's what he did. He could have easily been shouting from heaven, you're all messed up and dysfunctional and you need help. Have fun with that. He did something about it. As a believer in Christ, there is no job that is so menial that we should not do. None. Make I don't care what it is. Make your calling secure. So when we come to the table of the Lord today, this is what Jesus did for you and I. He was called by God to humble himself, to die on a cross. He answered the call of God so that he could bring you and I back into a right relationship with him. When we understand that, that should translate in the way I minister to others. Right? So when you see somebody that's hurting at work and you say, I don't want to get involved, Jesus says, I want you to get involved. Right? God did this for me the other day. And I, I don't know, I, I never thought of it before, but there are many times when I would see a homeless person on the street and they have a sign, we'll work for food or whatever. And I, I'm the guy that, you know, would look away, you know, just like, well, I got to get to where I'm going. And the other day, the Lord just convicted me to say, Barton, just keep um, power bars in your car. So that you're not the guy that looks away all the time. And just say, when they come at your window, just say, hey, I don't have money to give you because I don't know what they're going to use it for whatever. We know that. I don't want to be foolish. But just say, hey, I've got a power bar here in my car and I'll, I'll give you that. You know, just something, just not to ignore, right? Just to, Barton, humble your heart. Just don't look away. Just don't ignore it. Just look somebody and just say, hey, Christ loves you. Here's a power bar. I'm not, I, I can't give you money, but I will give you this, this power bar. And I just want to tell you that Jesus loves you. And just interact. Do, do you know what I'm saying? Not to ignore, but to humble ourselves. Get on, get on people's level. That's, that's how he wants us to minister. That's why I think every single one of us at one time or another should minister to kids. Because it humbles you, doesn't it? It just does. Because it causes you to get on their level, right? And to serve. And that's exactly what Jesus Christ did for us. So as we pray, as we pray here, let's, um, let's invite Christ into our hearts to say, Christ, is my calling worthy? And am I walking in that way that Paul said? Humility and gentleness, patience, forbearance, 
Let that be the emblem of your calling because that was the emblem of Jesus' calling of God, that he humbled himself and took on the form and the role of a servant to reach you and I. We have a beautiful, wonderful Savior that did that for you and I. So let's pray and let's, let's um, examine our hearts. And uh, let me just say communion is open to all of you who have, uh, are followers of Christ. You're more than welcome to take communion. You don't have to be a member of our church to do this. If you're not a follower of Christ, you can pray with me right now. And Jesus says, all who come to me, I will know why he's cast out. And by, by all means, you can take communion too. And so uh, let's examine our hearts and let's just pray now as, as the ushers come and as they serve us today and as the worship team leads us in worship. Let's just pray and ask God just to touch our hearts. Lord, we come before you today and we thank you for your word. We thank you, Jesus, for what you did for us. We thank you that you bowed, you, you stooped, you stooped low to come and meet Barden Gerace right at the point of his need, the point of his selfishness, the point of his, sin, of his sin, the point of his filthiness. You came, you stooped, you humbled yourself to the point of death, even death on a cross. You, you didn't point the finger. You, you didn't sit up in heaven and just shout at us how bad we were and, and how wrong we were, but you came and you did something about it. So God, may we make our calling worthy by how we live that out, not just shouting at the world, but humbling ourselves and serving them. May that be our attitude in the way we serve, no matter where it is. Make our calling worthy this morning. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your body and what this cup symbolizes you blood that was given for us. Without the shedding of blood, there could be no forgiveness of our sins. So as we come together as the body of Christ, we recognize and we honor Christ that he is the only way, that he is the only one that can forgive us, that he is a perfect suffering servant, that he was God and is God, that we recognize that, that he is the only one that could ever forgive us of our shortcomings and our sins. He's the only one that could bring us back to God. And so as we take that today, I pray that it would, it would bind us together, Lord. It would unite us together as we serve you in the commonality and the love of Christ to build your kingdom, not ours, but to build your kingdom, God. And we ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.